Welcome to Hartford HealthCare's podcast series, Coping Through COVID. In episode three, Hartford HealthCare's Steve Coates talks with Dr. John Grady Benson, physician-in-chief of the Bone and Joint Institute at Hartford Hospital, to explore leadership during a time of crisis and the power of communication. Doctor, thanks for joining us today. Your daily email, it takes a really uh, humane, sometimes irreverent look at the COVID crisis for your staff. And it's really, it really digs deep into metrics, uh, stats, the daily stats for the COVID crisis. How important is it to really get into the numbers, to be honest, to be truthful, when we really don't have all of the answers on a daily basis? It really is about an attitude that's realistic, looking at data that actually matters, understanding that we're human as physicians and as care providers throughout the whole care system, but looking at the data in a way that's empowering and not demeaning. So if you think about that, when a pandemic hits, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of those same principles are actually still all there. We're Mm -hmm. all in this together. This is not about blaming and shaming. This is about being curious about what's happening now, not judgmental and fearful. And how can we collectively move through this with honesty and perseverance and kindness and wisdom in a time when there's not a lot of certainty about anything. Like even the data that you get, you're not certain is true. Mm-hmm. And, and the rapidly changing landscape of what the disease is doing and how do we look at these numbers and find meaning and when the heck is this gonna be done with? And so some of it is really just an extension of philosophies about healthcare in general. How mm-hmm. can we make this a patient-centered process And the real challenge was we went from individualized, patient-centered care to community health. Like, oh my gosh, this is a community problem Mm. that's everywhere. And how do we change our focus now from joint replacements and spine surgeries, elective things that we're deciding upon, as opposed to how can we help the entire healthcare of the community? And, And even that is one of the noble goals of healthcare, right? I think actually the focus of being resilient in times of challenge is about controlling what you actually can control and letting go of what's not controllable. I cannot control what SARS-CoV-2, what the COVID-19 is gonna do today. Mm -hmm. I can't control that. What I can control are simple things. I can wash my hands, I can stay six feet away from everybody, I can do social distancing, I can call in if I'm ill, I can try to be respectful to the people I work with in a time when we're frustrated, angry about it, and there's all sorts of uncertainty. So the trust comes in when we let go of what we can't control and then try to be responsive and not reactive. Mm-hmm. So I'm reactive when a coworker who comes to me and, and says, this is a crappy day and you know I don't, I don't like Mrs. Jones, you know, she's a real pain, I don't wanna take care of her. So I can be judgmental and say, that's your job, you know, get back in there. Or we can say, well, it sounds like you're having a bad day. Is there some way I can help you? Mm -hmm. Because how I perceive things and how you perceive things might be very different based on where we come from. Mm -hmm. So when you start to be respectful for the patient, especially, where are they coming from? And then with your coworkers, where are you coming from? And can I be responsive to you as opposed to knee-jerk reactive? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we all get snippy, right? We all get frustrated. My computer was acting up the other day, and, and actually one of the emails 
I hit the send button and the whole screen went blank. Like, <laughs> I was like, I thought the whole thing was gone. I hadn't saved it. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to start off from square one. And I took a deep breath, right? And I wanted, you know, I had anger and frustration. And so we all get that way. I particularly get that way with inanimate objects. But mm. so there's just a certain amount of humanism in, in how you have to approach it all. In, in order to have the resilience, and so the trust comes when I can communicate clearly, I'm honest, I show up with the best self that I can show up with, mm-hmm. and understand that the other person I'm working with is also trying, we hope, to show up with their best self. That doesn't mean that there are certain behaviors that are, that are not acceptable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have to be accountable and responsible for your behavior. You, you can't allow people to be angry and frustrated all the time and not do their job. However, how we do it and how we get there works better when we show up with more humility than when we show up with arrogance, anger, frustration. What about staff who aren't directly on the front lines? How do you keep them engaged, you know, address their fears and concerns? Because I would think for so many who aren't on the front lines, being a caregiver is in their nature to be up there caring for COVID patients. Well, the first thing I say is all of us, even if you're not an ICU nurse, are really heroes in what you're doing. And I've asked them to really, and some of the messaging has been, dig deep into why you went into healthcare in the first place. And some of their very personal reasons, and some people may not actually know, um, and some people just say, well, this was an easy place to get a job. But I think most of us in healthcare, and yourself included, would be, you know, I came in here because I feel like I'm part of something larger than myself. And whether that's a spiritual thing or whether it's a religious thing, a higher power, or whether it's a calling, I don't care, you know, how one names it. But there's something larger than myself that you feel responsible towards and connected to and that I really want to help other people mm-hmm. in whatever way that that takes shape. So, I mean, I think some of us really are at the front lines here. The, the operating room nurses are dealing with COVID-positive patients, and you know, many of them have little children and families, and, and they're you know, risking disease by doing those cases. The BJI, the fourth, the fourth and fifth floors are now full of medical patients and, and non-orthopedic surgical patients. They, they're stretching out of their comfort zone to take care of people that they're not used to taking care of. That takes courage and perseverance and hopefully curiosity. What can I learn now about what I'm doing today that's going to help me when I go back to the nursing that I really wanted to do, which is more towards orthopedic patients? Um, and heck, who knows? Maybe some are going to say, hey, I really like this better. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, right. they, they find something even more inspiring to them. And I hope that doesn't happen, obviously, because we, we love our staff and we want them to be here. But wouldn't that be great if uh, we can learn something from the opportunity? You know, if you look at any crisis, any crisis, unexpected crisis, there's always an opportunity to learn. There's mm-hmm. always an opportunity to get better at what we're doing. And I'm very optimistic that there's going to be good that comes from this tragedy. And the messaging then has to really walk that fine line, in my opinion, about being very realistic. This is a tragedy. This is a pandemic. The disease is real. People are dying. Those are all truths, and they're harsh truths. We need to social distance. This is a really difficult time. Uh, you know, we can't handshake and hug anymore. It's going to affect me and my family. It's going to be difficult. And, and I always like to use the word and, not but, because when you say the word but, everything in front of that gets negated. Mm-hmm. And we will make this through this. How can we learn from it and use this as an opportunity to be better healthcare workers after this than we were before? 
And there's tremendous opportunity to do that. So if you get back to what we started talking about in terms of data, look at how there's not a whole lot of data, but we're grasping on numbers and we look at our graphs. I mean, it will really reinforce, gosh, we really need, in order to do the right thing in healthcare, we need data-driven decisions, right? I want data to be the lifeblood of this organization. I want that to be the language that we use to talk about patient care quality. What data do I have today to make the decision I'm making now about caring for this, this patient, and how can I make that better? And so just an emphasis on data is illuminated by a time when we don't have data. <laughs> that has to be frustrating. Abs- absolutely. I mean, the helpless nature of this is we're fighting, it, we're fighting a disease we can't see. You know, people make comparisons to 9-11. The comparisons to 9-11 are we're going to be different after this than we were before. It's a game changer in a lot of ways. But the harsh difference between 9-11 and this is 9-11, you could see it, you could see the tragedy unfold, and it was over, and they said, okay, now what do we do? But in this thing, this long, drawn-out process of this disease we don't really understand other than, you know, this little viral particle that (laughs) doesn't have a brain is killing people. I mean, how the heck does that happen? And so it makes us all feel really human, right? That's how vulnerable we are. So really the message is control what you can control. Absolutely. So I cannot control what the weather is going to be like today. I cannot control what the virus will do today. I can control how I respond to it. I don't know if you've ever read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Fantastic book. I mean, it's a tragic story of how he survived the Holocaust. And in the essence of his survival technique is despite the dramatic loss of freedom that he had, he said, there's one thing that no one can take away from me, and that is how I respond to this. And the same principle now is how am I going to respond to this thing that I can't control? I can either get fearful, I can run away, I can isolate, I can get angry, I can get frustrated, I can do all those things that are destructive, I can get overwhelmed. But if you can take what you can control, and even little simple things, I'm gonna get out of bed today, I'm gonna do my routine, I'm gonna try to take care of my body, I'll try to exercise, I'll meditate if that's meaningful to me, I'll take a deep breath when I get frustrated, I'll wash my hands after I've seen a patient, I will be respectful to the people I work with, I will try to be kind to myself, and I'll try to be kind to the people I work with. Those are things that I can control, and when I do that, and this is just my experience, when I do that, I know I feel better, and I feel better able and equipped to deal with something that's out of control. Mm -hmm. And it's that attitude, I think, helps me, and this is just my humble opinion, it helps me get up the next day and say, okay, that's one more day that's behind us. You know, we're one more day into this now. We're going to continue to go through this. And what can I learn today that's going to help me be better on the other side of this? Humor is also a huge part of your daily email whether it's a YouTube clips, Saturday Night Live clips, a clip of Julia Child in the kitchen, one-liners. How do you make this relatable during these times, and how do you come up with your stuff? I don't know how to answer how I come up with some of the one-liners. I guess I wasn't really realizing I was putting a whole bunch of those in there, but, you know, humor is truly a great medicine, right? And, you know, there's destructive humor. I think I actually wrote about that in one of my emails. You know, the destructive humor classically would be the degrading stuff. I mean, the, the worst example would be, you know, terrible racist humor mm-hmm. or stereotyping that's beyond nice. But yeah, if 
we all need to laugh. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the basic human emotions. And there's appropriate laughter and inappropriate laughter, and there's laughter that you, <laughs> that you shouldn't do. You know, it, I, I think I I made the analogy of laughter. I'd have to look back at the email, but I think I made the analogy that laughter is kind of like medicine. You have to give it at the right time and the right place for the right reason. So if I laugh inappropriately in the middle of someone's grand rounds talk, that's inappropriate and mean. However, if I make a joke with a person about something very human, hey, I noticed your, you know, your tie was on backwards <laughs> um, afterwards or something like that, then it, it brings you down to a human level. So la- laughter is, just brings us back to how, how human we are. And the hard part is that when things are tragic, it is very difficult to find things that are funny, to find laughter in our lives. And you can't be, or I would not suggest that we be Pollyanna-ish, right? We don't want to be, everything is hunky-dory, rose-colored glasses, you know, nothing bad is happening, this is all going to pass, and laugh it off. But I think humor is an outstanding tool to to make you feel human and to and to energize you. So, In a recent email, you uh, were able to integrate a uh, clip from True Grit, the movie, with Julia Child to uh, talk about resiliency. How, how was that possible? It just came to me, uh, you know, how am I going to, I'm trying to talk about the ingredients of resilience. And these are just, you know, again, humble opinions about what helps with resilience, grit and, and self-control. You, and you have to have both. You can't have one or the other. So, I, I mean, I thought of true grit, you know, the classic John mm-hmm. Wayne thing. So I put that clip in there. And then it just came to me. It's like, well, you know, what are the ingredients? I said, well, and then these are two things you throw into the soup. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then Julia Child just always cracks me up whenever I see <laughs> And I don't look at it. Gosh, I mean, I, that just happens, I guess. I don't, I, it wasn't sort of a calculated and planned thing. It was, what soup uh, YouTube can I show that, that's sort of funny? And I, go, I Googled Julia Child's soup. <laughs> Doctor, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Chicago. My father was a United Methodist minister, and interestingly, I wouldn't call myself a religious person. In fact, I was kind of the stereotypical wild and reckless preacher's kid who was bucking all the traditions of the more stiff church things. Mm -hmm. However, my friends and people who know me are making all these comparisons now, so I, I can hear your father speaking now, John, and there is a certain amount of feeling like I would never ever want to feel like I'm preaching to anybody but there is something about feeling inspired I guess to say things that I hope people are finding healing and meaningful not as a this is the way it's going to be not dictatorial but hopefully meaningful my father was a very eloquent speaker my mother was a nurse and I really gained a lot of my inspiration to care for people through both of them, but I'd say particularly my mother in that regard. Doctor, one thing I think comes through is there's a certain degree, there's a tremendous amount, rather, of empathy for issues for people uh, that are experiencing the issues. One one instance recently of a social media situation, I won't go into details, and you really wanted to know the root of that problem, what caused that, rather than throwing blame at people. Thank you for saying that. So first of all, you know, you know, I feel vulnerable when I'm that way. I'll just let you know. I the stereotypical orthopedic surgeon is rather concrete, you know, the concrete rough guy who's going to, you know, fix the broken bones. And I don't think I fit that mold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when I let myself out and actually say how I'm feeling, um, that's not easy for me. But I have interesting, and that's just part of my personal journey, I find that when I do that, I actually feel like I can connect better 
to people. And, and that may work for some people and not for others. And, you know, that's the hard part about leadership, right, is that you're not going to please everybody all the time. And there, there will be certain people who do not respond well to that leadership right. and, and may need more direction. And, you know, I'm absolutely trying my best to be on that rapid learning curve of what leadership skills are the most important. And that's always a changing game and extremely difficult. And I'm, I'm a novice at it. So, Dr. John Grady Benson, physician-in-chief at the Bone and Joint Institute, Thanks so much for being our guest today on Coping Through COVID. Stay well. Thank you, Steve Coates and Dr. Grady Benson. If you or someone you love is in need of emotional support, help is available. Call your existing provider for a virtual visit or leave a message at 888-984-2408 and we will call you back. Thanks for listening to Hartford HealthCare's podcast series, Coping Through COVID.